This is the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry and its future. Our show is hosted by Rich Miller, the editor of Data Center Frontier. And now here's Rich with our show. Our guest today is Dean Nelson, the founder of the Infrastructure Masons and the CEO of Virtual Power Systems, which is working on a vision for software-defined power to bring new efficiencies to data center infrastructure. Dean has worked for some of the biggest players in the data center industry and knows just about everybody. So Dean, I appreciate <laughs> you making time today. Welcome to the Data Center Frontier Show. Of course, yeah, thanks for having me on, Rich. I always love chatting with you, so this will be fun. I, I thought we'd start with talking about Infrastructure Masons, which is a group you founded, which now includes many of the uh, of the biggest and you know, most influential players in the in the data center industry. It gives you sort of an interesting vantage point for what has been the most unique year, I think, in most of our experience. How would you assess what uh, how the industry has fared through? the pandemic and all of the events of, of 2020. What, mm. what have you been seeing and what's your take on, on this year and how we have made it through? Yeah, I, I think if you look at it, it's a two-sided coin. Uh, first, if you look globally, the pandemic has impacted so many people. It's it negatively impacted so many different people. Jobs lost, right? Um, it's just, it's, it's hard to fathom how, how this many people could be out of work and how we can make sure that our economy is going to continue doing what it needs to do. But on the other side of that coin, um, you know, we, we all figure out a way to go back and adapt. And what's happened is um, our industry has never grown faster than it has in the last year. It's incredible. And we kept talking about this data tsunami and all these other factors that were there. And whether it's core data centers distribution or edge, uh, right, emerging edge aspects of it, um, pre-2020, people had a perspective. And then if you look at projects that were out there, I'm talking about digital transformation projects and all those things, you know, these were multi-year efforts. Those efforts have become multi-month efforts now. Three-year projects in three months is not a stretch. And why? Because there's a forcing function. That forcing function is, guess what? Everybody has to figure out remote working. There is no other choice. You have to figure it out. And the majority of the world has done it. I mean, I sit in this chair eight to 10 hours a day yapping at a screen uh, versus the travel and the other stuff that I was doing pretty frequently you know, before. And we figured out a way to do it, but so has the rest of the world when it comes down to how the, the business has to operate. And so when I look at uh, people like Noel Walsh at Microsoft, and our global member summit, where we came together to launch our sustainability vision of every click in Peru's future. She dropped a stat that blew my mind. She said they deployed 100 megawatts worth of new capacity, 100 megawatts in two weeks. In two freaking weeks. I mean, first off, I don't know how that logistically is done, but the whole point here was they had to turn that crank and have everybody focus during a pandemic lockdown with restrictions and turn up capacity. So I'm sure this is across new built capacity that was now accelerated to turn on to you know partners to et cetera. But you know, when you think of that as just one data point, one single data point from one company, right, with certain services, now you 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 basically multiply that across all these different companies and the demand. And then you think about it. We still have half the world's population online. Half is not online. 
So this this is not slowing down. And everybody kept talking to me about, um, you know, well, we've got this surge, this burst. It's it's not a burst. This is the new baseline. Because guess what? People are not going to go back in the office as people were expecting. This remote working can be effective. And guess what? People have figured it out. And so I just think that the, the, the new norms that we've got, digital infrastructure is the foundation for it, period. Without it, the world doesn't function. And if you think about the, pay, the players that are in there doing that, it's the people, you know, the professionals, like our peers in the industry that are making those huge decisions to feed that demand. And that demand is not slowing down. Yeah, sometimes it's crazy when I've gone to some of the infrastructure masons events to just, you know, look around the room and, and see the people who are there and realize, you know, how much they've built. And the mm -hmm. Microsoft example is, is an interesting one. I was, you know, I, the last week I've been looking at some of the data for the industry for the year. You know, the estimate is that there's been over 500 megawatts of, of wholesale capacity uh, deployed, which is pretty crazy for those of us who have, like yourself, who have a memory of, of what we used to think of as big. Right. Uh, and, but the logistics of, of what's going on now, what you talked about with Microsoft, that involves, as you know, working ahead and having capacity just in case suddenly you need to deploy a whole bunch of it. And, yeah. but what that does then is very quickly gobbles up all of the available space in a market. There might've yeah. been all sorts of discussions of what oversupply might look like, but that, you know, suddenly it's every, can everybody build fast enough mm -hmm. during a pandemic? You know, that, that, that reminds me, um, I had this conversation with Yvonne Valdez and um, uh, so she's over at Schneider, right? And she leads the uh, basically hyperscale segment, basically all cloud and those things. And, and her comment was really funny to me because she said, um, you know, we had demands before and then the pandemic hit and our customers basically said, I don't care if it's a pandemic, I still need it. And then they want more of it. So their schedules, right? Think about manufacturing to shipping, to installation, to support all those elements. And then you think about at 25% workforce because of social distancing, right? Uh, if it, there's just so many elements to it, whether it's a manufacturing plant, an assembly plant to how you're shipping it across the country, across the world, to how you're installing it and how you're operating it. And I think about that, um, it, the, again, they've risen to the challenge. And you think about all the data center companies and networking companies and all that, trying to figure out how to deliver this capacity at an unprecedented rate during a compressed resourcing standpoint. So supply chain issues are still a big problem and they're actually compounded now. Right. And you know, if you think of one of the other set, the discussions we had at the a member summit was um, we all tried to diversify our supply chain and sources but what that diversification led to is pretty much, a, an, a, a, I guess, a consolidation into pretty much one country. China, right, the amount of stuff coming out of China where people are trying to diversify, it really showed during this because you may be able to accelerate all the components. But I remember Joe Kava talking about one, you know, 15 cent cable. I couldn't get stop the entire thing because it came out of the supply chain out of China, even though I diversified the other aspects is that lowest common denominator, whether, you know, then generators to switch gear to IT equipment to all those other, there's so much that's out there that um, uh, you have to worry about. But this, this pandemic, and then also the kind of the unrest between, you know, China and the US, and the trade restrictions and all the other battles that have been going on, have um, 
really shown the weakness, I think, in the supply chain and the the dependence that is uh, is is a is a problem, right? Yeah. I, I and, and so that's another indicator for me that was, um, you know, you never really. <laughs> Who in their right mind did a business continuity plan that had an actual response to a pandemic? I I haven't heard of one yet because now they have it, of course. But you know, sure. people weren't thinking about the potential. Well, supply chain is one of those others now with the constraints. And I, all of those people you're talking about, those leaders that are in the space, they all have those same challenges, and they're all fighting for the same resources. And that's just the components to build the foundational infrastructure. But they're also fighting for the resources and talent. Sure. The other side. So you've always, through infrastructure masons, and even before then, you you've been really good at connecting people in the data center industry and uh, prompting conversations about how we do this better. Uh, mm. What are the areas to target? that's been sort of at the heart of, of uh, a lot of the conversations at Infrastructure Masons. We're a few years into the, the Masons initiative. How have things been going? What, what are you hmm. proud of? And uh, what do you think the important tasks are for you know, what, you're, what you're working on now? Well, let me, let me give you kind of the strategy uh, that's emerged over the last couple of years. We originally uh, kicked this off, uh, I remember calling seven people, right? Directly. <laughs> the founding kind of members in it and said, hey, I'd, I'd like us to get us back together and and uh, start working together and stuff. And it's still the altruistic nature of it. Nobody, nobody makes money. And in the end, of it, we said, we're going to leave our companies at the door. And the vision here is to unite, this, unite the builders of the digital age, right? If we can unite the builders of the digital age, uh, then we can enable them to connect, grow, and give back. That's how we're going to do it. And then we've now had a new uh, one that is emerging saying, well, how do we do that to, to really um, to be effective? We need to aggregate and amplify the good work of the people and the companies in our industry. This isn't about iMasons. We're the platform and the professional association that allows that to happen. It's about the individuals and what they do. And leaving the companies at the door is important because um, you never know who you're going to work for or who's going to work for you. You don't know what company you're going to land in. And losing status when you're in with a company, you know, with an organization like this isn't right. So I've chose you because of your character, uh, because of your expertise and your passion about it to drive this thing. And it's not, you know, you happen to work with this great company, but if you shift companies, you shouldn't drop that. So that's where we've had a lot of continuity where people are sticking and doing this. And then what are they working on? We now have four strategic initiatives. It's education diversity, inclusion, sustainability, and now technical innovation. All of those are actually crossed by awareness, industry awareness, because we have to raise the awareness in every one of those. The problem with education right now is there's not programs aligned to get the talent either to be visible into it, into our industry, or to actually choose a career here. Second is we don't have the pipelines for diversity inclusion. We, we have abysmal numbers in our industry less than 10% female, and even less than that when it comes to other underrepresented groups. We have to change that mixture. And then in sustainability, the people in this group make massive decisions that have long-term impacts. And so we have to make sustainable decisions. And it's not just about renewable energy. This is everything in the supply chain, end-to-end, -end, right? Embedded carbon, et cetera, circular economy. There's so many elements around sustainability. And then you know, on the technical innovation aspect of it, we we've been doing a lot of the um, the other aspects, but this year we said we've really got to help drive innovation 
uh, by collaborating. If I look at all those things, I just spewed out um, the things that I'm really proud of. First off, the community continues to grow, you know, and the engagement level I love because everybody knows the altruistic nature of it is true. We're not here to go back and position this to go make money on something. We all do that in our day jobs. We have our thing. But this is about the community and the community is really powerful. We get those voices together. And so, you know, we're, uh, we just raised $140,000 to add to our scholarship foundation, right? So we're, by the end of the year, we're going to try and get to $500,000 in that actual thing towards our million dollar challenge. You and I talked about, I think in London, remember that kickoff? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. So we're about to hit 50% of that goal. And then I'm never satisfied. So we're going to go above that number. But, you know, the, the, the givingness of that. But what is it used for? We've just granted another uh, 12 scholarships. And we've done a partnership now on a test run with uh, historically Black colleges and universities and Hispanic institutions. And we just granted 12 more uh, scholarships because they're all involved in a capstone project that's going directly into work with our members as their guides and coaches. And all of them are going to be available to hire. And so we launched that at our Global Member Summit to say, okay, here's the faces. Now let's get some more. And we're bringing in diversity immediately. But the whole point here is we have a whole nother pool of talent that's focused on engineering, on business, on a, right the financial aspect, the marketing. The, like that is the, that's the pool that we need to pull from because it was drying up. But I'm really proud of that side too. Yeah, and it's hard not to be impressed with both. Obviously, you guys have done a great job on the, the fundraising effort. The problems with inclusion and uh, workforce development in the data center industry mm -hmm. are not new. They've been sort of staring at us in the face for a long time. Uh, but it's really the last couple of years where, you know, the Masons and, and uh, infrastructure Masons has been among the groups that has really stepped up and said, we're going to do something and start really making a difference and starting to move the needle here. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, a, a long-term process, uh, but the numbers, particularly uh, when you see some of the challenges that the pandemic has created, it really highlights the importance of workforce development and, and such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and, that, and by the way, that's a common theme across every one of those members. Mm -hmm. They all are having a problem recruiting talent and retaining that talent sure. uh, because basically everybody's stealing from each other. The pipeline's not well, coming. You no, know, the whole thing is everyone has a story. When you ask, how did you get into the data center industry? You know this. Yeah. Nobody ever says, oh, I, I grew up wanting to be in the data center. <laughs> we all found our way here from someplace else. And when we got yeah. here, we're like, whoa, this is so cool. Let's do it. You yeah. know, but um, being more intentional about that and having a path for a trajectory for, for young people to mm -hmm. help, first of all, to help them understand the uh, this industry and, and, and what it's accomplishing right now is, is super right. important, it seems to me. You've had a lot of things going on the past couple of years. And in addition to Infrastructure Masons, uh, you've been advising a number of small companies. Last year around this time, uh, we talked in, uh, in uh, Mountain View, I guess it was, and mm -hmm. you, were, you were very uh, jazzed about software-defined power and uh, a, a company called... Uh, uh, virtual power systems that you were just advising at the at that time, and now you're the CEO. I, I'd like to to like help our listeners understand what that's all about, and the potential for software defined power. So, yeah, and you can kind of give us an overview uh, and uh, tell us about VPS. Let me back up and tell a little bit of the story. How's that? So, sure. 
I had, um, uh, you know, I, I joined the industry on my 21st birthday. And that's not a joke. I started on my 21st birthday at Sun Microsystems. I did 17 years, two stints at Sun, loved it. Culture is amazing. I learned, I think I went to the University of Sun, right? Business, finance, tech, people management. Like there's just so many things that I learned within that company. Uh, in the middle, I went to a startup company called Allegro Networks for three years, which is a great experience. And then I went back to Sun for another five plus years. Then I left and went to uh, eBay. Right. And I went there for about seven years doing foundational infrastructure. And that was really fun. All right. Amazing growth, a turn, a turnaround, all that kind of stuff. And then um, I took a six month sabbatical, toured around with my daughter, finding colleges right for her. And then this Uber project came up and I spent about another three years at Uber. Well, I left Uber uh, on my 51st birthday. So exactly 30 years in our industry doing right direct engineering, operational end user type work. Right. Uh, for 30 plus years. And I left to do something totally different. And what I wanted to do was be able to pick the technologies and focus my time on the things that I really liked that I believe were going to move the needle, that were going to have an impact, right? Infrastructure Masons was one of them. I was kind of doubling down. I had time to go after this one. It's a passion of mine. But then I started finding these different companies and advising them on just insights. What is it that what is it that uh, you know an end user would be wanting? What dots need to be connected? What pieces go together into what this looks like? And so you know this is everything from edge because I really believe the edge start. Right, we should talk about that too. Um, uh, you know, to beyond grid scale energy storage. But then another one came in of in our sector when it comes to digital infrastructure, the foundational piece is the data center. One of the things that has been left behind is that compute storage and networking have been virtualized. That's the de facto standard. You, you share resources to increase utilization and you know, optimize efficiency. Nobody, nobody questions that anymore. There's no more, I have to have my dedicated server and hug my equipment. I have to have this thing. I'm unique, right? There's no new more unique. The uniqueness is above it. The thing that's been missing in a software-defined data center is we haven't virtualized power. We still have dedicated power. There's dedicated power blocks for this, right? These suites, those things, the contracts are set up that way. It's it's very, very power hu hugging, just like server hugging, okay? okay. And so, and I've been working with uh, Shankar Ramamurthy and he was the founder of this company years ago and, um, and others. And uh, we had done evaluations at eBay. We'd done it at Uber, right? And um, I really believe there was something there. It was just a bit early. And I think it was also that the messaging as far as what was focused, because they developed all this really good stuff, right. but it was really hard to understand. You want to turn on software-defined power and take control of my data center. I am measured on uptime, right? And so it was just kind of this conflict. So anyways, I joined the board uh, in September of 2019 and realized at that point that Okay, I think we need to we need to zero in and simplify this message. What are we trying to solve? What are we going after? And then we ended up having this um, conversation, and then the board asked if I would step in as interim CEO. And I said yes. And by the way, anybody in the in the, in the audience, if you hear that term, there is no interim CEO. Just know that, okay? The what happens is you're in, and then you just you're committed. You you know it. You're doing it, and so. Um, I accepted the full-time role just a couple months ago um, because I was just hooked. This market opportunity and the issues we've got in front of us, things to solve are just too big. And it's the last kind of frontier, I think, in the data center element of digital infrastructure that needs to be solved.
Anyway, that was a long-winded way to say, I looked at this opportunity. I started sizing up what that market is and the amount of waste. And it ties back to my principles on sustainability with iMasons, et cetera, that um, there's so many things that we can go back and pull out of this. And But but that's that's how I got here. The interesting thing about software-defined power is it takes these concepts <clears throat> That we all know from you know uh, from virtual servers, software eating the world in that way we've we've heard about we kind of understand, but the power chain is a is is different as as you <clears> said it's it's a lot of physical stuff that that folks are are yeah. hugging the equipment. So one of the things I was always you know curious about when I started that conversation, I think Peter Gross uh, first introduced me to, to VPS and and what they do, is what does that look like in the real world? So right. how does how does this work in practice within a data center? And I know you guys have worked on uh, uh, some different technologies. There's there's a hardware mm -hmm. piece. There's a software piece. Maybe tell me uh, tell us a our, our listeners a little bit about how that all works. Well, why, why don't we start with the problem first? So why, what do we have to solve? And then uh, we can go back and you know how we've approached this. I, I broke this into kind of I'd say four categories. Um, if you look at it, there's hyperscale. Okay, right. and hyperscalers have figured this out already. They basically have software-defined everything, and they have full control of the stack. So when you look at their built data centers, there's a reason that Facebook's got the uh, efficiencies, and Amazon, right, and Google, and and others, where it's incredible utilization. Why? Because they have every element that's actually managed by software. You said software is going to eat the world. Absolutely, when the software enables that to happen, but alignment of those elements is usually the issue. Why can they actually do software-defined power inside of a hyperscaler? Because they have it as an element that can be now uh, in a shared platform controlled and they can manage that. Now, this next sector is, is uh, really enterprise, okay? You've got people that have built that are not hyperscalers and they've got these large portfolios and challenges, but the majority of them are gonna be migrating to cloud and co-location providers. So the third category is colo. And then the fourth category is the emerging edge, edge and micro edge. We are focusing on, on Colo. Why? Colos are the place where they are at the mercy of their customers. And being a customer before, I, I right, I brought that back in. A, because, a pretty substantial customer, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, we would go out and, and we were we were uh, for Uber, we were uh, all Colo, right? At eBay, we built data centers, right? And and those we had our own capital investment. We also had Colo, but at Uber, it was different because we're working with partners. But the challenge is that we would have to go in and build a, you know, a zone and then multiple zones in a region. And we'd have a standard template of footprint. We had our foundational type building blocks that we put in. A zone is like this with this many racks with this kind of power, right? With this kind of network infrastructure. And we can, you know, stamp it out. Um, and so we would come in and say, we're going to start with, you know, meg and a half and go to two and then go to five. And then over time, it's going to be a 10 megawatt contract. So by the time you populate that data center, that 10 megawatt contract, the average utilization of that power is about 60%. You're using 60% of the contracted power. But the providers are bound by SLA to you. In other words, you're going to give me that power. You're going to give me the uptime and I'm going to have this price per unit. That's it. So they now have a lower utilization by a customer compounded by multiple customers, which makes the efficiency of the entire data center go down. But they're stuck. Why are they stuck? Because they don't have a way to use software to oversubscribe safely. If you think about hyperscalers, they oversubscribe their environments because they control the entire stack. 
co-locations don't have that luxury. We looked at this as, all right, in the co-location space, if they are the place that has the most stranded capacity because of the actions of their customers and the buffers and redundancy and uh, other things that they have to put in place to guarantee the uptime, what are we doing about it? How can we help solve that? So we have a dynamic power management software suite. That suite has multiple elements in it. The first one here is power bursting. So think of it as a, we've got a hardware element that goes in and we can inject current specifically at where the problem is. This is where I've got buffers or you know I've got uh, circuits that are potentially going to be able to, that are gonna trip because of, of utilization, whether it's phase imbalance or, or just overutilization or changed over time, I could inject energy right at that spot. So think of it, UPS is the umbrella, but it can't solve local problems. It's the distribution of that down, whether it's the policy or consumption, that's the problem. So we're gonna say, great, you can put in a pair here and a pair here, and that unlocks another 15% of capacity that you had stranded before because of policy or it protects these things and allows bursting of certain type of peaky workloads, or it allows you to add more racks into that place because you didn't have the capacity before based on that policy. So power bursting is one that we're doing. The second one is uh, power switching. That allows you to have this combination, by the way, new products. Meaning that um, today, if you go to a co-location company, you get to choose one product. It's five nines or six nines. What if I want a two nine? because I have software controlling it. What if I want a three nine? There is no menu to choose from. So we're enabling the opportunity for co-location companies to be able to have software with these localized power solutions deployed because you don't need to build all the capacity again. You're putting spot solutions and you're orchestrating those elements to be able to say, I can unlock that and guarantee my SLA. Because if you can increase that utilization by doing that, yet still maintain your uptime. And guess what? Your costs go down because you're utilizing more capacity that you would have to build out because you're at the mercy of your customers, your margins go up. Well, what's interesting is that that whole, uh, I, I've written a couple of times over the years about the variable resiliency where data centers will uh, you know, have different physical parts of their campus or facility that mm -hmm. are running with, with different sort of uh, power redundancies uh, and then they can price things accordingly. You know, yeah. If you want three nines, you're going to pay more than the, the <clears throat> mm -hmm. cryptocurrency guys who just need one or, or, or grid power. Being able to do that in software is pretty intriguing in, in terms of uh, being able to, you know, just conceptually create these these mm -hmm. software-defined zones that offer, uh, uh, you know, new sort of product here. Well, and, and there's one clarification I want to put in there. Um, you talk about the zones. I think what you can do is go back and identify where are these stranded pools of power? That's what our software is looking at. And why are they actually stranded? And then how do you solve them? Because if, if you think about from a business perspective, a co-location company can go back and this is what a lot of them have done before is they do a calculated risk. I'm going to oversubscribe by 1.1 of my bill capacity. So 10% over and I'll oversubscribe. They do that because the majority of the customers are not using, like I mentioned, all the capacity they have. And it's kind of like a overbooking seats on a flight. Odds are I'm going to have this person drop or whatever, and I'll still be able to have the seats filled, right? Right. Um, the thing is that we build data centers where half the seats are always empty. And so uh, even if you were to go up a little bit, so that 10% is just low hanging fruit. The reality is this, if you don't win the hearts and minds of the engineers, nothing will go forward. 
we can have all these conceptual conversations with the executives. And it's great because, of course, they want their margins to improve. Of course, they want to utilize more of their capacity. Of course, they want to slow a build out of, of data centers if they, they don't need to spend their capital. They can use what they have. Of course, they want to offer this to their customers. But when it comes down to the brass tacks of an engineer, an electrical engineer on the floor saying, my job is dependent on uptime. Right. Are you going to guarantee that my uptime is going to stay the same? I have SLAs to commit to. And guess what? They do actions based on that. They put policies for buffers to ensure phase imbalance and other things don't cause me to trip when I have a failover. Simple things like that, right? They're saving the company to make sure. If you can now provide them the tools that allow them to be able to, because they all want to, increase that utilization and efficiency safely, Right. And you're gonna you're gonna get movement, and that's what we've really found here. Because you know, I as an engineer before, I I really I, prove it to me, show me why. You know, especially with my metrics and what I'm looking at. Yeah, and and with uh, uh, when it comes to power and uptime, uh, people tend to you know the the rap is that that folks in the data center industry are conservative, but that's because you know the yeah. jobs are on the line with that, as is the the profitability of the enterprise. So yep. you know the, the the old joke about new technology is that. It looks great. I'd love to see what it looks like running in somebody else's data. Center. Somebody else, right? But, yeah. So if that doesn't blow up, then I'm, then I'm interested. Um, so I'll get, I, let me give you a few examples of this. That's all right, because right, this is where um, where the kind of rubber hits the road. You know, um, we've got. I'll give you three. Um, one is where uh, we've got a data center that is quote unquote at capacity, yet they've got customers that want to come in and actually add more capacity, but they are stuck. You go back and look at when you really start peeling that onion back, because what we walk in, in our POCs is we'll, we'll measure the data because we're validating what they're saying. Because a lot of times they may not see all the information. Right. They don't have the granularity. They're not looking at all the components. We go back and realize that, okay, here's, here's how much is stranded based on the data gathering, what our, our analytics have shown. And here's the reasons why it's stranded. Now, here's the proposal of say, we're going to inject energy in that point and that point. And that's going to unlock... 20%, 25% more percent capacity for you to, to bring back to your customers. Is that valuable? The ROI makes really simple. So there's one about, I've got a constraint within what's built. Second is, um, let's say for enterprise, they're doing a bunch of consolidation versus that, that consolidation is happening quite a bit. Well, can I consolidate, if I can unlock more capacity in my destination data centers, can I actually shut down more data centers? Yes. <laughs> Because we know in those destination data centers, all the policies, the buffers, right, the other things that are in there, we can solve that and then give them another 20, 30%. They might shut down four more data centers. Mm -hmm. Then the third one really is around this new build. Can you deploy software-defined policies, right, that technology into a new design? You will slow the amount of capital you have to invest because you can now have these policies built in day one. Multiple S9 products, day one, right? And then it changes the economics. And talk about a differentiator in the market. If you can walk in and say, oh, I've got four, four different products would you like to choose from? You'll attract the hyperscalers, 99, right? Two nines. Great, give me that capacity. I'm gonna manage it on my platform. Perfect. That's what we're seeing is there's multiple ways and multiple motivators, and they all tie back to using software to orchestrate and operate safely in a data center to get its maximum utilization. Yeah, that last example is particularly interesting because uh, the ability to do phased data center development and deploy capital gradually mm -hmm. uh, has been, you know, a, a really important uh, you know, facet yeah. of how people are approaching that. And to be able to do that with software and yeah. extend the, the, the ramp time uh, 
for yeah. multi-tenant facilities is pretty interesting. Um, you know, I talked about uh, power bursting and power switching. You know, power switching is really within the IT cabinets. And so we've got the ability to control the IT load. Right. And we partnered with a company called uh, IT Renew and EdgeX to be able to say, I can now deploy this capacity out and control it. And I can ensure my multi nine SLAs. Right. Because I can turn things off and manage that way. Um, and then we got power bursting, of course, that protects those loads and adds more capacity and removes buffers. There is one thing that happens in every data center in the world, regardless of what company and what ca classification phase imbalance. Okay, so today, whether it's wired wrong or whether the workloads organically change over time, your three-phase deployments start to have more power consumption on a one phase. Imagine a 20, 30% phase imbalance. What happens because of that? People have to now put buffers above it to ensure that when that fails over to the other one, the compounding of that phase doesn't trip the whole thing. Okay, now again, varying levels of that problem across there, but I've heard this from the hyperscalers. They're getting really, really high, but phase imbalance is still there for a variety of reasons. Back to the colos, to the enterprise, et cetera, it just compounds and gets bigger and bigger. So we, um, we have developed now, we've got our power bursting, which is parallel current injection with batteries that basically add additional things for bursting. We have a unit now that is no batteries needed. It's sharing power between phases. You can now correct phase imbalance upstream of the IT cabinet. Think about that for a second. Usually the problem in co-locations today is that they have to go back and orchestrate downtime to rebalance circuits, move things around because of what? Customers behaving badly downstream. We said, how do we give the power and control to the providers, the co-location providers to correct that? Because if you can fix phase imbalance, you've already just you just unlocked a ton of stranded capacity because that suddenly means I can 24 seven without thermal issues and all that just do phase balancing. So we've got a hardware deployment that's orchestrated with software is everything we do is about software orchestration of this that will be in complementary uh, component to power bursting. Now you lock, unlock huge amounts of power in these data centers. So to me, I'm really excited because every data center in the world has this problem, right? right? We're launching this uh, actual product. We're, we're open to uh, do beta tests with uh, different customers now, right? We've got a few underway and it's really, it's very cool stuff. Um, but uh, open to have people start having that conversation because I, I, again, there hasn't been an engineer, electrical engineer that I've talked to that doesn't have this problem. Well, it's really interesting the sort of possibilities that are created when you take these components that have always been defined physically and then suddenly you have the the, the software component that allows a more granular management of this i you know i am gathering there's a dashboard that will help accomplish all of this mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's really cool stuff and and i can tell when i when i saw the interim uh, ceo thing i remember when you and i had talked and how excited <laughs> you were about it <laughs> this for a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about the edge because uh, yeah. obviously some of your your early efforts are, are working with mm -hmm. edge deployments, which you know creates some unique challenges around energy, how things are powered, how they're reliable when yep. they're deployed all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your take on where we're at with the edge, and what are the things that are interesting to you about where this movement is going? I'll give you a few few examples of this one. First off, 
let me make a positioning statement. The edge is now getting to the point where real deployments are going out. None of us really know how big this is going to be. We just know it's going to be big because the forcing function is going to be the consumer. Whether it's gaming or you know low latency type things for autonomous vehicle orchestration to emergency vehicle stuff, it's, it's all about the localized performance of that actual compute. We're seeing this start to roll back out. I think that uh, Edge is going to surprise a lot of people. A lot of people talking about it, but the reality still comes down to, I will not force fit a core data center solution into an edge. I'm going to fit a localized, still repeatable, right? Smaller thing at the edge. And there's gonna be micro edge, which is on every street corner of every area and every floor of every building, et cetera, to the edge, which is gonna be uh, kind of within that metro area. And then you've got distribution and core. All of them are gonna grow, but this emerging side, when I look at edge is specifically around because there's so many definitions of this. Yes. It's a challenge. That's, that's the problem right now. But um, you know, we're looking at, I've done a, we got an alliance together on purpose uh, that is going to make the easy button happen. The easy button here is, well, I can give fully configured hardware in packaging with software defined power deployed to the location turned up on a platform that can participate in a marketplace. That's the alliance that we've got between IT Renew and EdgeX, right? EDJX.io, by the way, that's the, people always get this confused, but those companies and putting these pieces together allow that easy button for Edge to go out. Because first off, if you build data centers at the edge that are empty and you have a chicken and egg problem, who's going to fill it? You know, that, that, that just slows down. There's opportunity, it will happen. But my point is if you can put out a easy button or to say companies, if you'd like to participate, such as real estate companies who happen to be in all the right locations for edge already that own the property, that own those access points, then if you could allow them to be able to pop these out, suddenly edge becomes very real, very quick. And I will give you another example of this. Um, when you start to have an alliance between these companies, and one that just emerged lately, I think you wrote about this, is Switch Data Centers yep. and Dell and FedEx. Yes. What, it, what an interesting combination. You take the best of all of them. You say, I've got these modular data centers, right? Highly efficient, highly available from Switch. I've got this equipment from Dell who's trying to make sure that they can position and participate in cloud, right? Instead of just feeding the cloud players. Now they've got a deployment and then you've got an anchor tenant and that anchor tenant at their facility is FedEx. Well, how many big facilities? So now think about everything they're going to use that for, whether it's automation on the floor to all the other aspects, but that's just a, that's a real world example of a combination. And I think it's going to be successful because not only is FedEx going to use it, but it's an edge location. It's, it's a distribution point. And it's this unique thing where those combinations come together to enable that to happen. Now, they happen to be out front, but then you start to look at others that are playing in this. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of interesting partnership possibilities that yep. are just sort of being uh, recognized by folks when they look at FedEx, which has real estate everywhere. Yep. I think there's any number of other large enterprises, multinational uh, yep. outfits that are thinking real hard about their real estate footprint right now and mm -hmm. what's essential and what's not in a whatever the, the next normal is. 
uh, when you, you find those kind of partnerships, I think it addresses one of the, the questions that we've been focused on at Data Center Frontier. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of folks in the industry, you know, have where their skepticism is rooted, which is about the economics of it, how you make the economics work. Right. And some of the things that you're talking about, I think IT Renew is fascinating, the, the whole circular economy, but mm-hmm. creating marketplaces and uh, efficiencies within all of that. Very early on, there was a lot of conversation about how for edge to work, there's going to have to be, it can't cost the same as a data center, except, you know, deployed everywhere. I think there's some real interesting innovation going on. We Mm -hmm. obviously are seeing things actually get built at a a small scale now, but I, but it seems to me that that's where the economics get worked out that create templates that, uh, that then can move very quickly. Yep. You know, the, um, you bring up a really important point. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I've lived this movie multiple times now and um, the, the whole bare metal and, and other stuff and building these modular things that can go out and, and be used. The, the key differentiator here is the partnerships you just talked about. Who has the uh, price leadership? Of course, a hardware manufacturer. They can leverage their entire supply chain. They can leverage their manufacturing to be able to get something out that's very cost-effective. Then you look at uh, packaging and modular. That's why the the, you know, the switch thing is very interesting too. They do data centers very well, right? And But then you look at the anchor tenants who want to consume something. The difference for me right now is um, why this alliance with IT Renew and EdgeX is important is imagine if you can now, the easy button I talk about, you take circular economy equipment that already has a 40% price benefit because it's recircled equipment, right? For when you talk about the cost per transaction, all right, the cost per unit in that, it's 40 cents on the dollar or less. And, and for listeners who don't know, that's because IT Renew works with hyperscalers, very large folks who have a rapid uh, IT re- refresh cycle, mm-hmm. move on to the, the hot new server. And meanwhile, there's equipment that has plenty of life left for many use cases. Right. It renews the life of that IT equipment. So here you roll it back in. And by the way, that removes 70% of the embedded carbon. The sustainability side of this is awesome. So you're taking this waste stream and turn it into another productive digital infrastructure work stream. Right. So there's there, there's that thing. But the key in this is that when you have that combo, you can also finance this entire thing. It could be zero cost to the people that are rolling it out. So I can roll edge out. It's the price thing you just talked about. I will give you the full solution that has compute, highly optimized power, because the thing that's important at edge is you're usually in these higher price points, expensive real estate, high price power with peak demand charges. And so if you can flatten and orchestrate that one, there's, there's a lot of significant benefits. But then you package this up, land in these places, and guess what? They can participate in edge very easily and not have to be technical experts because the platform will manage it. That's what's exciting to me is that the edge is becoming very real from that standpoint because it all came down to on whose books with whose money first. And usually it's the IT equipment. That paradigm has completely shifted now because you know we can package all these together and have that entire edge solution out to people. Yeah, it's all, it's all pretty exciting. Um... We've mm-hmm. talked about a lot of things. And, and as I mentioned when we were talking before, I think you and I could uh, could talk all day about different things going on in the data center sector. But I wanted to get your take on 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the, the pandemic has been the sort of dominant theme and challenge for 2020. You look at, at a lot of new technologies and are always kind of got your eyes on the horizon. What's your take on what's going to be important and interesting 
for the industry in 2021. Hmm. All right. Well, I would say some key takeaways. Uh, first is this is not a um, spike. This is the new baseline. So the capacity is being built is going to be the foundational start. And guess what? It's going to continue. As I mentioned before, there is half the population that's not online. These emerging markets are going to explode. I mean, Africa, India, South, you know, South America, just there's so many areas that are just going to have more and more and more people participating. And then you take the other side of that coin. The people that are participating are going to continue to participate more. So no matter what, this growth is going to continue. And I think that the accelerated rate we see this year will continue next year. It's just a compounding effect again on more and more people and more technology and new things that are coming out. The other side, the other thing is the edge. Um, I think next year is where there's going to be a significant acceleration of these deployments because people are figuring it out. The money being invested, the partnerships being created, the locations and the players that are seeing the benefit ones that normally might not have been in this space are suddenly going to be in the space. Real estate developers, if you're listening, you should be participating in this period because you have an advantage. And right now, other people are going to come in and take your space and make a lot of money from your stuff. You need to be part of it. So I think there's something around that. The third one is that um, in our sector, efficiency is so critical. Next year, I think the pressure is going to come down even further. And I'm talking to the co-location providers. Primarily because if you look at hyperscalers and what they've been building, they've been doing that extremely effectively. They can build it very, very cost effectively. The challenge is they're not everywhere they need to be when they need to be there. There's an opportunity for the co-location providers, but you're going to get that pressure. You know, in RFPs that come in, when these big players, they say, this is what I'm paying and that's it. Or I'm going to go to your neighbor and get there from them. And they're going to take 10, 20 megawatts from you at this really, really low margin. You have to figure out a way to differentiate, yet still increase your margins. This isn't an advertisement for VPS, but the key is you must be able to figure out different ways in which you're deploying multiple product types to be able to affect your margins, to be able to compete. If you do that, you're going to be able to attract more customers than you expect. And I'm talking about you can get hyperscalers and wholesale and retail and the others because you're going to be able to orchestrate in there. If you don't, I just think that the demand, especially in the private equity side and REITs, it's great. But the other, the other metrics that they're looking at, it's, it's going to come back to them. They've got to figure out ways to compete in that because you can't just have this, I've got all this occupancy, I've, I've got my occupancy covered. You've got to have the other metrics moving. And if you don't think differently about how a software-defined data center works, you're going to get gobbled up. You're going to lose the deals. Well, I think one of the interesting things that's going on with all the capital coming into this space is some of these players, particularly the infrastructure funds, have experience with other, um, uh, other types mm -hmm. of industries and, and other types of solutions and, and have a, a long uh, history of trying to wring out the efficiencies and the, the cost efficiencies in some cases mm -hmm. for, the, for the businesses that they, uh, they back. I think that mindset, the whole sort of industrialization mindset for better or worse is, is really here and will be, it seems to me, it's gonna be a big story going forward. Yeah, and I'll give you one last thing to, to think about on this that I, I think is really important. As an industry, so tying this back to iMasons, we do a lot of really good work. I'm very proud of the, the peers and the people in the industry and what they, they do. They're leading the charts. They're championing these efforts. But from a sustainability standpoint, we have a risk of becoming the bad guys. And 
if you think about it, oil and gas and others used to have great reputations. <laughs> if we've got other people come in and say, wait, digital infrastructure is consuming all my power, right? Consuming my water and this, when you're building data centers, et cetera, in these places. We have to control the narrative. And I'm not talking about positioning this wrong. It's tell the story of what it is that it, this digital infrastructure does for an economy, what it does for the planet, and then how we drive it sustainability. That message, I think, is, is super critical because if we don't get this right, somebody else is going to do the narrative for us, right? And that is not going to be a positive one because people don't understand what it is that we do. Yeah. And you and I have both seen that go on where you see a media piece that has the whole, you know, energy hog kind of uh, approach to things. Yeah. And while those are, you know, that's a reality that may exist in some parts of the industry, there's this much larger story mm -hmm. of uh, efficiency and taking all this, this, uh, these business processes and putting them in the most efficient facilities on earth, yep. supported by renewable power, run by huge technology companies with an incentive to run them in the most uh, renewable efficient way. Possible. Yep. Well, listen, Dean, I, as I said, I could talk all day, but I, I greatly appreciate you you coming on. I've, I've enjoyed the, the conversation uh, and, and I appreciate all that you do for the industry through Infrastructure Masons. Thank you for being our guest today on the Data Center Frontier Show. And for folks who are interested in connecting with you or seeing what you have going on, uh, where can they find you online? imasons.org. So I-M-A-S-O-N-S.org. Or uh, you can just email me at dean at imasons.org. Thanks so much, Dean. And everyone else, thank you for listening to the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry one podcast at a time. Thanks <laughs> for it. listening. Thanks for listening to the Data Center Frontier Show. You can find the show notes for this episode at datacenterfrontier.com slash podcast, including links to the resources Rich has mentioned. Be sure to subscribe to the Data Center Frontier show at Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or where you find your podcasts. If you enjoyed this show, please tell your friends or share about it on your social channels. You can always find us on the web at datacenterfrontier.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time.